Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, and this week I'm joined once again by Equalizer contributor Party Katri. How's it going, Party? I'm doing well. You? I'm good. Starting to feel like fall, huh? We're in kind of the home stretch here. Um, yeah. Some teams have played 19 games. There are some teams that have five games left, five games left in the NWSL. We're getting there. Weather's starting to change a little bit. You can just sort of feel autumn coming on. Yeah. Um, although we are getting a weird, well, it's not weird, but a warm patch of weather this mm-hmm. week in New York. On the so East Coast. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have to pretend it's not fall last, yet. last week of summer even though, vibes, maybe. even though I'm looking forward to the, uh, to yeah. fall. Yeah, for sure. Keep summer, keep summer rolling as long as you possibly can. Okay. So for this, <laughs> for this opening segment here, we're just going to talk through all of the stuff that happened this week. We're going to talk through us women's national team news, some NWSL news that was not the playing of a game, uh, UEFA's Women's Champions League, all of that good stuff. Lots of miscellaneous pieces of news this week. Everything ke- seems to keep keep running despite the fact that we've got games going on. So let's go ahead and start with the U.S. We were given the U.S. Women's National Team roster for the two games in this upcoming international period. We are actually in an international break this week, which is kind of nice. Um Mostly the bronze medal team. Uh, so the only absences from that bronze medal team are Alyssa Nair, Julie Ertz, Samantha Mewis, and Megan Rapino, all doing that due to injuries. Nair and Mewis specifically will be in camp with the team to sort of be evaluated, work on their rehab. Those two might be a little bit closer, I guess, to returning than, than Ertz or Rapino. And then Kristen Press did opt out to focus on mental health, which is absolutely just as valid as any of these other players with physical ailments. Um, And then in addition, they brought some people in. They brought in Sophia Smith, Mal Pugh, and Andy Sullivan to sort of fill out the team. So let me ask a question here. Why didn't they bring in another keeper, do you think? Only AD French and, uh, and Jane Campbell on this one. That's a great question. I suppose, I mean, from where I'm sitting, I guess the answer could be, well, we're these are just two games and we're not going to spend a lot of time with anybody, with any of the other keepers anyway. Mm-hmm. So might as well just, you know, get the job done in terms of a roster and getting through those matches. And then maybe you'll see down the road. I, I, I this roster, the whole vibe of that, I get that whole vibe from it. It's just we got to call up the people we got to call up, and then we'll call up as few other people as we need to get the job done. We'll talk about full time roster building for 2023 later. That's the I whole agree. vibe I get. Right. And actually, these games, these two games, and then the following two games in the next international period um, are kind of contractually wrapped into what these players are owed having made an Olympic roster. So when they negotiate these sorts of things, and this is actually something that comes up in that equal pay conversation, because a lot of the U S women's national teams earning potential in a cycle is tied to these friendlies. It's tied to these sorts of games where you get paid a certain amount of money to go to camp. You get paid a certain amount of money to play in these games. This is something that has been guaranteed to those players. Should they medal at the Olympics? Not exactly a victory tour this year, but the, the intent is to have the same roster put together. They get to go play in front of some fans who haven't gotten to see them in a long time. 
And then the work begins December and in, in, in January going into next year. So, right. No huge shockers, but really nice to see Sophia Smith, uh, Mallory Pugh and Andy Sullivan get rewarded for probably, you know, being, first of all, used to a U.S. Women's National Team environment. They've all played for the team before, but having really nice NWSL seasons, right? Absolutely. These were the that was the part of the roster I was looking forward to most to see who would get some time with the Olympic uh, team members. Sophia Smith, I, uh, that's the one I'm probably excited about the most. I felt like Andy Sullivan and Mallory Pugh, especially with her play this season, I thought, okay, these were two people who were probably going to come back in the conversation sooner rather than later. Um, but Sophia Smith, I think, is really the first example of somebody who will be part of a new generation that will be integrated into this team and maybe has is not just the future anymore, but will soon become the present. Sure. It's like I think what Vladimir said when he called those players and he specifically said, you know, that they can jump into a game, right? They're playing against Paraguay, which no disrespect to them in any way. And I'm sure that they're going to learn a lot from this experience. These are not going to be the most competitive games of all time. These really kind of are fan exhibitions. This is a little bit more about the business of soccer than the competitive aspect. But yeah, it's always a good vote of confidence to be that first person that gets called back in. Um, again, it's a money-making opportunity. I believe all three of those players are allocated. So it's coming back into the fold with your employer essentially and kind of seeing where things are at. And I think that any of those three players could hop on, hop into any of those games and do perfectly fine, which I think is the exciting thing. Um, So any other thoughts about these games coming up? Is there anything you would like to see? Would you like to see tinkering or do you just say, well, we'll just roll out the formation that we rolled out in the Olympics and, and just kind of get this done and dusted. I always want to see tinkering. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I see, I mean, look, with Carly Lloyd retiring and possibly, I mean, I, I, it's always a possibility that a couple other players might do it. There might be some, okay, let's give the veterans the last go of these things. But yeah, tinkering is always what I'm going to be rooting for. Sure. Just maybe, maybe for fun, everybody gets to play in like their favorite position rather than the, rather than the yeah. position that they're asked to play in. Everybody... <laughs> You know, AD French is going to play striker and Crystal Dunn's going to play the 10. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that, yeah, I don't think we're going to learn a lot from these games, but I think that it will be good to see the team. I'm sure they'll be excited to be playing in front of fans again, all of that sort of stuff. And like you said, right, this is sort of the winding down of the Carly Lloyd end of career tour here. And we'll see sort of what how this works out for, for other players as well. Um all right. So then final question, not really relevant to this, to this particular period, but you know, as, as the months go on, do you have a short little wish list for who you would like to see in camp with the U S as they start to integrate some newer faces? Um, well, Smith is top and she's probably going to be there. So that's not a problem. Sullivan. I like to, um, Hmm. Hmm. So many, but I mean, Gosh, you could throw a lot of different players in there. I mean, Emily Fox will probably be back in the group at some uh, mm-hmm. with the group at some point. I yeah. she's she's had a pretty great season for Louisville. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, you know the funny thing I think with this with this group, and this will tie into some of the NWSL stuff that we talk about, is 
we've seen some young players play quite well, right? Like, you know, Trinity Robbins having a very good seat. Well, she was having a very good season when Washington was playing games regularly. Um, <laughs> Emily Fox is having a very good season. You've got some college players who are still in the mix. I'm sure like Jalen Howell and Naomi Yerma, Alana Cook has been playing well for the rain. Oh, yes. I was just thinking yeah. about her. I'm ready for the, to see the Alana Cook era start. But what I think is also kind of fascinating is there are a number of players who are around the age of 30 who are also playing really well in the league this year. You think of your Morgan Gatras or your Sydney LaRue's. You have these players who have been in the U.S. Women's National Team bubble or, or in that cycle who are out of it at this moment, who through play probably maybe deserve another look. But if the U.S. has this idea that we're that they're getting younger no matter what, those players might get overlooked. So I think that that's interesting as well, just to kind of see what, who gets rewarded for how they're playing, but who gets the like, okay, I like you because you're 23 and you're going to have a long future with this team. Um, But yeah, it'll be fun, fun games. So moving on to some league stuff, uh, we should talk about Washington again. We should talk about Washington and Portland and the rain and all of this sort of mess. So we got into this a little bit last week talking about the game that was canceled slash I mean, don't we get into this every week now? I know, right? It's like the Washington spirit hour. Um, We still don't know what's happening with that Portland game, possibly to be rescheduled. Um, But we did get word early this weekend that the Washington spirit did forfeit to OL rain. And due to the FIFA um, protocols for that was, that was a three to nothing loss. So that's a three goal hit to their goal differential. In addition to the lost points, the rain had been in DC all week. They went straight to DC from where are they playing? They were playing against uh, Louisville. They went straight from Louisville to DC. So they've been in market and we don't know exactly what happened to cause the forfeit, though it was reported by Meg Linehan at The Athletic that what she got from her sources was indicators of maybe even quarantine violations or breaking of protocols that seemed to be new in addition to whatever happened in Portland last week. Um, so maybe first question, <laughs> there's a lot to sort of unpack here. We still don't have a decision on the Portland game, which means that we don't know if the league has even determined that Washington broke league rules in Portland. We don't actually know that. We talked about this last week as of, you know, last Monday, they didn't have competitive sanctions for a COVID outbreak. And we still don't know, for example, whether it was a vaccinated player or an unvaccinated player who tested positive, though obviously the close contact tracing indicates that a lack of vaccination has been a problem for the team. You have to quarantine longer. You have more people that need to be quarantining when you don't have a highly vaccinated population. I think that might have been part of the problem with the OL rain game. So what do they do about the Portland game party? Well, I guess it depends on what they find out. Yeah, right. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, let's... I guess we could describe something as a normal COVID outbreak. People get COVID breakthrough cases, not breakthrough cases, whatever. The league doesn't, I believe right now, have a vaccine mandate. So I don't think right. they're going to be punishing anybody for getting COVID if they're unvaccinated or even pun- unless they are breaking certain protocol while getting COVID, I guess. 
And, I, and they're definitely not going to be punishing people. Right. Who like it's like breakthrough. It's, cases. You don't get in trouble for getting COVID unless you did it by doing something wrong, I guess. It's, it's yeah. a little bit. <laughs> Vague, I mean, I, I guess, guess it's kind of, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess it's sort of like the Orlando pride not going to the challenge cup last right. year. And obviously there were no such thing as breakthrough cases at the time. But uh, so I guess if it's sort of, we're not, uh, you got COVID by not breaking protocols, then nobody's going to, I have to imagine they would just reschedule the game. But if they find out anything that sees any, I and then I wonder if, let's say, it's one person who broke protocol. Do you decide to suspend that person instead of, you know, punishing the whole team? Right. I mean, at this point, the forfeit makes it seem like, at the very least, it's not just players making individual dumb decisions, that the team is responsible for some very bad decision-making. It does seem like the league wanted to punish the spirit for this whole situation by making this call. Right. Yeah. Um yeah. So, I mean, there was a lot of calls for league action last week. We saw publicly on social media, we saw some Portland staff and players say, well, why, why do the rain get, they get a forfeit. Why, why don't we, um, I don't think that's necessarily, I, I agree with them in that. I would hope that the Portland thorns know what's going on, but I think also you have to let the league find out if there were rules broken. And if there weren't, I don't know if Portland does have a right to a forfeit. You know, that's right, a very big deal. Um, so they're, they're going to have to figure that out. And I think it's not great that they haven't yet. But, you know, that is the foresight that they should have had because they should have just had rules in place in the first place for how to deal with this sort of a thing. Yeah, <laughs> they so really out- should have. Yes, right. So outside of the common refrain of why doesn't the NWSL have rules and then what do they do when you break rules that don't exist? Um, indicators by the Washington spirit that you had players, whether it was a couple or one, fudging quarantine protocol is just another example of a lack of leadership in that organization, right? It's just another yeah. tally mark against the spirit. Um, right. I'm just, I mean, for before the COVID outbreak, what was clear was that the top, top leaders at this organization were not putting player welfare or anything like that first. But the, but the, the COVID uh, outbreak and now the breaking of protocols, I don't think that's something that necessarily Steve Baldwin is deciding. Right. So just the different levels at, of failure to just meet some bare minimum requirements is truly remarkable. Right. And whether that's players deciding or some other leader at the club deciding, it it is such a shocking situation at the end of the day. I mean, and we're and we're speaking as people who have been paying attention to women's soccer for a long time and speaking and, and we there are people listening to this podcast that have also been paying attention to women's soccer for a long time. We've all seen a lot. And this is still shocking. <laughs> right. I think I think where yeah. the spirit is at at this point and I think you're right what the what you highlighted is is truly correct in that it seems to be on every level at this point, whether it's disorganization or disinterest or whatever issues they're dealing with. Obviously, they did recently hire Ben Olsen. He was the one who spoke publicly about the forfeit. It wasn't ownership. Um, he's the new team president. And I think when we talk about the worst stories in women's soccer, the folded teams and the 
quick turnarounds and ownership walking away and stuff like that. I think it starts with dysfunction, which we've seen with the spirit dysfunction uh, on every level, whether it's ownership dysfunction or coaching hires that shouldn't have been made dysfunction within the coaching staff communication between coaches and players. And now maybe we're finding that within all of that, that dysfunction comes disinterest. It's a natural progression to say the way I am dealing with the dysfunction in this organization is to separate myself from it, whether it's mentally, emotionally, whatever. So if you have dysfunction and ownership, your fear is that you're going to have an owner say, well, I'm done. No more money, not spending any more money on this. You have dysfunction in a coaching staff. You worry that you're going to have people quit or you're going to have abuse of power, all of that sort of stuff. And when you get to disinterest on the player level, whether it's disinterest in following the COVID protocols or being in that environment because it's dysfunctional, it's a natural reaction to say, I don't want to be here right now. This feels really bad. So I am struggling to maintain my own professionalism. But when you get to that point, you start to think, how do you fix this from within? Or do we need to go full clean slate here, right? I think I do not see a way you fix this from within. There are owners that are basically fighting with each other. The majority owner and his and his allies decided to hire a club president reportedly without consulting another owner. Yeah. I I do not think there is a way to fix the situation from within. And I don't know what resources the NWSL has, both in terms of, you know, rules and, you know, personnel and whatnot to to stop the bleeding. Right. But they at this point it's it feels absolutely necessary that they need to do this because right. a because a branch, like an entire club in this league is, they are not meeting the professional standards. Mm-hmm. And for a league that especially now is trying to put out an image of being not just sort of up and coming, but really just waiting for the big break and has everything else sorted out. Right. That's not acceptable. And at the end of the day, there are a lot of people from players and I'm sure other staff members at the Washington Spirit that are working in a horrible work environment while all of this is playing out. Right. And I think that you get to the point where I think what people have been questioning is where do you draw the line? Right. If you are another owner in this team or or in this league, or if you are a commissioner in this league, where do you draw the line and say this is actually unacceptable? And you would have to think missing two straight games that's when they are affecting your bottom line and then you start to have grounds to say yeah steve baldwin i actually need you to sell the team Um, i mean to be fair you probably could have stepped in the second you uh, the league opens an investigation on richie burke absolutely because you have to figure out then okay how high was this going who knew was anybody covering it up did anybody care did anybody try anything whatever that's something that you have to check if you're investigating this so basically what we're talking like a month ago now right the league probably should have been like maybe they've been doing stuff privately behind the scenes that we don't know about but at the but i think that's probably stuff that if they're doing it they should communicate that right 
And that they're not communicating it is troubling. Yes. External communication, internal communication, all of that. It doesn't really seem to be functioning the way it needs to be functioning. And yes, you are totally right. The moment that the Richie Burke investigation happened and it also became clear that the that the team kind of lied about it at the very beginning, that is grounds for a separate investigation into the spirit itself. Um, But I, you know, I don't know. I don't know at what point the league does something, but two missed games is a big deal. The first forfeit in NWSL history is a big deal. The spirit are still in a playoff position despite all of this at this moment. Um, But if they They do get... They lost a home game too. They lost another home game. That's right. After already losing one due to Segra Field not being ready. So mm-hmm. is they're in a tough position right now? We'll see. And and where they're running out of time kind of to write the ship as well. So I don't know at what point you just call this season a wash and try to fix stuff for the future. But um, so we'll see about what the league decides about the Portland game. Would love to see the Washington spirit on the field again someday. Uh, <laughs> hopefully soon. I don't know what it does to players to also not get game time for two weeks. And then you go into an international break. You have a certain amount of your team that's been quarantining in a hotel room. I don't know. I don't know exactly where they're at right now. They don't have a head coach. There's a lot. Anyway, um, moving away from the spirit for now, I God only hopes that we'll uh, next week have nothing but positive things to say about that team. Um, a couple of other little well, things. next week. We might not have anything. Oh, that's true. Anything it's an to international say. In break weeks. in two weeks. Yeah. If there's Washington spirit news next week, then we're still in big trouble. Um, the UEFA women's champions league draw was announced just this morning. They went through their champions league qualifiers. And there were a couple upsets. There were some cool results there. Bordeaux almost did something really brilliant. They weren't quite able to finish it out. And then obviously Real Madrid, had a big upset over Manchester city, Manchester city are out of the champions league before we actually finally get in before we even got into the group stage, just going through these groups real quick, just so everybody kind of knows what they are. And we'll talk about what looks tough. What looks a little bit easier. We have group a with Chelsea Wolfsburg, Juventus and Servette group B is Paris Saint-Germain, Breda Blick, Real Madrid and Kharkiv, Kharkiv, Something like I that. I think it's Kharkiv. Kharkiv. Sure. That sounds about right. Uh, group C, we have Barcelona, Arsenal, Hoffenheim, and HB Koga, I think. And then Group <laughs> D, this is this is embarrassing for me. Group D, we have Bayern Munich, uh, Olympic Lyon, BK Hawken, and Beneficia. So don't worry, you're doing better. I don't know if you've seen the video of the oh, person. Of the, of the yeah. guy couldn't say CONCACAF, con, con, CONCACAF. CONCACAF. Um, yeah, and UFA Champions League. That's right, UFA Champions yeah, League. Yeah, you're doing much better than him. Don't thank worry. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so <laughs> tough groups versus less tough groups. Every, every group has at least two teams that... Well, actually, that's not entirely true. Group B, let's talk about actually Group B. In terms of heavy hitters of, of teams that have been in the knockout stages of the Champions League before, Real Madrid has to feel pretty good about this draw, right? Oh, totally. Right. They're they're still relatively inexperienced, but I I don't know how you're not happy with it. That's probably the best. If anybody's the happiest out of that draw, it's them. Yeah, agreed. And then you have maybe two heavy hitters per group, right? You got Barcelona and Arsenal in the same group, Bayern Munich and Lyon. Really tough one. Might be group A. That might be if we're looking at a group of death situation. Yeah. You got Chelsea, Wolfsburg, and Juventus. Now, Juventus is a team that is continually improving every year. 
the Italian league is, is constantly just sort of rising in professionalism, getting ready to sort of compete on the world stage. Uh, they've got Joe Montemuro as coach now, former Arsenal coach. This is a tough draw. Those are two very good other teams in that group. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes both ways for the likes of Chelsea and Wolfsburg. They're not for them. It won't be the easiest points, but no question. The team out of those three that has the biggest disadvantage is Juventus. And maybe that's just a temporary thing. Uh, but right now, I don't, I don't think this one shakes out in their favor too much. This one, I think for them, they'll have to focus more on the performances and less on the points. Yeah, maybe. I think the my other only counterpoint to that is really interested to see how Chelsea does in Champions League this year. Obviously, they make it to the final last year. They kind of get <laughs> thrown out, just completely run over in the final against Barcelona. They were kind of exposed in their first WSL game against Arsenal. They've got some weaknesses, some very specific weaknesses in their roster that other teams are starting to figure out a little bit, despite the fact that they are very, very talented um, and very good at recruiting, especially in the attack. We'll see. We saw Manchester City really struggle. And I think in general, sometimes these WSL teams go onto these European stages and get exposed. And so I'm fascinated to see to see how Chelsea does. Cause I just think it's hard to, first of all, maintain that level of excellence consistently considering how successful their year was last year. Um, but also Emma Hayes is a manager that sometimes other coaches sort of look at what she does and they say, Oh, I, I know what to do about that. So, I mean, Montemoro has a little bit of experience against that's her. True. So that should be fun. That's very true. Very, very true. So that is the UWCL looking forward to those matches. Absolutely. Final thing here. Final little piece of news is we did get, some expansion draft rules uh, announced by the NWSL this week. Main hits are you can only uh, protect nine players instead of 11. You can only protect one U.S. allocated player. That sounds kind of harsh on the teams that already exist, but on the flip side, the two California teams can only take one allocated player in the draft. They also cannot take more than one player out of a position, meaning I believe that, say, San Diego takes a defender from Chicago. I believe that means that Angel City cannot do that. Um, And I am just really interested to see what happens. I don't know if I think nine players versus 11 makes a huge deal. That might be a little bit more interesting when you look at player rights. Like, again, you look at what rights, obviously, Louisville holds, what rights Chicago holds. One allocated player is tough, though, I think, on both ends. I think it's tough for the expansion teams to only be able to take one allocated player, and I think it's also tough for the other teams to only be able to protect one. I would, I, I feel like it might be a little bit tougher for the expansion teams to just pick one. Because I think... I think there has to be a certain amount of comfort from uh, for the already existing teams that they can only pick one. Right. You protect the one on your team that you think that they're most likely to take. Right. Right. And, and I mean, and that'll be harder for some teams than others, but I think it puts them in a little bit in a position of, of an advantage. Certainly. Right. Once, once those teams make those calls, then you're like, well, we're safe. Everybody's safe. Right. So that, that is the issue. And I do think that 
this expand it's a I just really think it's interesting because there have been some rules put in place here to protect these uh existing teams from really being gutted by the expansion teams, which you have to do, right? You can't let all you can't ruin the the projects that other people have going on just to have the expansion teams come in. Um, but I do think that the expansion teams have an opportunity to get a couple really good players. So I think that maybe that's the balance that we're seeing here. Yeah. Um, and we'll this go into our be- full this, we'll do this mock draft, draft should be fun too because for yeah. the first time we have two teams going up against each other whereas mm-hmm. before it was okay a team can basically have this list and they show up with basically a full list already right there's actually going to be i assume some negotiating and some versatility in these lists because right what each team does is going to be affected by what the other expansion team does so it's going to be a little bit trickier than we've seen in the past. So I think that should be hopefully fun. And also for the maybe not, not the first time, but two good setups, two California teams coming in, hopefully a little bit less of a jarring experience for players. Obviously, no one wants to be uprooted, but hopefully they would be landing in a good spot. Right. So um, we'll That's see more on that later. Uh, so that has been our A block here. Just lots of news, lots of discussion to talk about. And in the second half, we will go ahead and get into games. So stay tuned. All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am Claire Watkins this week. I am joined by Party Catry. A little bit of housekeeping here. Thing number one, we're going into the international break, which means we are going to do a little Q&A. We're going to do another mail mailbag here. Um, go ahead and go to EqualizerSoccer.com. You will find a post that you can comment on. We will go through the comments and we will answer questions. I believe you can also tweet at Equalizer Soccer. Maybe do a hashtag EQZ pod. We'll find those. Get your questions answered. Any questions you have about the league, international stuff, anything like that. Throw them our way. Claire's favorite food. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What I like to do on my days off. We'll just talk about me. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) Give us questions. We'll talk about those in addition to what's going on in the international break. And then also rate and review this podcast. Give us five stars. Give us a nice review. It, uh, it helps people find us, all that good stuff. So let's talk games. Let's talk games. We had three. There were a few. There were a few. Not that many, actually. Um, only three. We're supposed to be four, right, with the, with the Washington oil rain game. But nothing too, nothing too intense here. We'll go ahead and start with the Friday night game. Houston hosting Chicago. This was a 1-1 tie. Rachel Daly opened the scoring, and then Chicago equalized late off of a header by Casey Kruger, mostly set up by Danny Colaprico. Very nice shot by Danny Colaprico, headed in by Casey Kruger. So, to me, everything that happened in this game has happened before. Yes, yep. Um, I was thinking the same thing. Some, some narratives are really solidifying. Right. Exactly. So like long story short, Chicago's on the road. They push a little bit, excuse me. They push a little bit to get in front of goal. They move into dangerous places, but they can't get good shots off Houston on a quick transition. Nice ball up by Christy Mewis. Rachel Daly's in isolation against Tierna Davidson flips Davidson. They go up one, nothing. Houston, unfortunately, cannot hold on to this lead as they've Again. struggled with in the past. Chicago, similar thing. They push a little bit, but they score in a dead ball situation. And that's been Chicago's deal this year. They really do struggle to score in open play, but they have sort of surprisingly, considering their organizational history, have been pretty lethal in, uh, in dead ball situations. They've done well on corners. This one was a free kick. 
They equalize. Now, neither team wanted a draw here. Draw's not great for, for either club. No. Chicago's in a very weird place where they are in a playoff position, but the teams behind them have multiple games in hand, and Chicago isn't racking up enough three-point performances to get any separation there. I could see them getting overtaken. But Houston is out of a playoff position still. They needed a win, too. Are these, these two teams, teams just the same? Are they just the same team? Yeah. Do you? I don't know if you remember this, but the commentators during this match kept talking about tiebreak scenarios. Yeah. Because these two teams were basically just stuck in the same position the whole time. And yeah. then the match played out and it was a draw. It was even. A lot of the, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, a lot of the, the stats were fairly even. Yeah. Yeah. They, these teams are the same. Who are we pretty, kidding? Pretty these, similar. Everybody, I feel like the consensus is in. Yeah. These teams are the same. And they're both really struggling for form, too. I was, I, when Chicago, uh, when Chicago scored, I was like, oh man, I got to go back and check how many times the, uh, the Dash had given up a lead. And yeah. it was a bunch of times, but I was also surprised to learn that they only had one win in their last eight. Chicago right. aren't that much better too in their last eight. It's it's not the kind of form uh, it, that you want in the fi- before the final stretch of the season, especially if you're a Chicago team with more games played than the teams behind you. The schedule imbalance is kind of killing me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and it's been all year. I keep waiting for it to reset, and it just doesn't. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I I think that what we've seen from the rain. The rain was able to make a huge surge just by actually winning a couple games. Um, and these other teams are really struggling to do that. And that's how you do end up with, yeah, with a Chicago team that hasn't lost in a month and a half, but they have one win in that stretch, you know, or you have a Houston team that also they're not losing many games, but they also have dropped. I think it's like 17 available points from a winning position so far this season. They can't close things out. And if they could, that would be all the difference. They'd be in third or second right Um, yeah I mean they'd have at least some cushion right exactly so it's really interesting to watch teams struggle to get the job done because it hasn't hurt them you know quote unquote yet but we're getting to crunch time yeah and I I don't know I don't know exactly what's going to happen with these two so let's move on to a team that did get the job done pretty definitively The Orlando Pride are not going away. They don't want to give up their playoff spot. I think they're doing quite well. They win three to one, hosting Louisville on a goal from Sunny LaRue. Marta, CeCe Kaiser gets one back, and then it is closed out by Alex Morgan, who made her return to the end of USL post-Olympics. She's been uh, dealing with that calf injury, but it seems like she is on the men. She was able to give them a good half hour this weekend. Also have to mention, obviously, the other big piece of news out of this game is that Nadia Nadim left injured. It was a tackle from Phoebe McLernan. Nadia Nadim has torn her ACL. She has gone back, I think, either to Europe or or to, uh, I, think I think they Qatar, said maybe Qatar. Maybe? Just, she's yeah. going to try, try to make a push for the Euros. Will be difficult to do, but not impossible. ACL, ACL reconstruction has improved significantly in recent years, it's not really a nine month rehab anymore, which is, is good news. Um, I'm going to be honest. I think that might've been the end of Nadia Nadim's NWSL career. And that yeah. was really sad to see for me. Truly. Cause I mean, she didn't, I mean, she's only been here a little while. She, I mean, she 
gave us some great goals, great play, but man, you never want to see it end like that, especially, I mean, for starters, there were a few more months to go in this season, right? but for a player who has consistently entertained consistently wherever she's played, it is, that is a tough, tough thing to see always. And, and her, her history in this league, really it's, it's tragic in many ways, good highs and lows where she was one of the highlights of a sky blue team that was not very good, but she was always, you know, electric when she was playing for them. She transfers over to Portland, does very well with Portland. Portland loves her. She does a very good job with them. She goes to play in Europe, higher payday, finally gets, you know, that, uh, that, that league championship with PSG. She comes back to the NWSL with a coach that she knows who is then removed <laughs> from his position Louisville is not really in the playoff race. It's very unclear what's going on sort of in that club with that in the future. And then this happens and it just seems like a player like that deserves a better time here. And a player player like that deserves a better time always. Yes. Right. Exactly. Um, And so, yeah, that's very, very sad. And, you know, I don't know if it's a coincidence that, players play the pride and then leave injured. It could just be bad luck. It really could. The pride are a physical team, but there are a lot of physical teams in this league. And I also, I would never go so far as to say that anybody is trying to do anything, but it, it it's tough. It's tough when you have a team. Cause I feel bad. Cause I, I think that the Orlando played great in this game. It's just unfortunate that that happened, you know? Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the positives. Sydney LaRue, what a season what a, she's having. Yeah. yeah. I know. Just, and you were talking about her earlier when we were talking about the U.S. women's national team rosters. She's, I mean, but I mean, we don't have to talk about that specifically, but just, it's been a great season for her. And I think it's emblematic of what this Orlando team has done this season to sort of rebound from years of not really ever being able to compete with some of the better teams in this league. You're having great individual seasons in addition to a great collective performance all the time. Cause this match had a lot of really great individual standout performances too, but Sydney LaRue, I mean, it's a really, it's almost an enjoyable story too, not just outside of the enjoying watching her play and watching this, uh, watching this form from her, it's it's a year after watching Christy Mewis return to the national team. It's just nice to see somebody reach another career high. Again, I don't think uh, I don't think Sydney Larue's end goal has to be, or any player's end goal necessarily has to be playing for their national team. You can just enjoy what they're doing while they're doing it or, uh, without some external factors playing into it but you know she's just been such a pleasure to watch she's really i think she's done a great job of leading this orlando pride reboot yeah i think you nailed it with that with that last statement which is when you think of Sydney larue's career when she was on the u.s women's national team in 2012 you know in london or 2015 in canada or when she was playing for the rain um, in, in the early NWSL, she was always one of the younger players. She was someone that 
was being mentored and and sort of growing into her own and and figuring out who exactly she wanted to be as a player. And so I think for me, the thing that I just keep thinking when I watch Sydney LaRue play this year is that her attitude is contagious. And I think that that is how you elevate a whole squad through your own enthusiasm, your work ethic, and she's clinical in front of goal too. And I think that that is a new facet to her. I think that is a new sense of leadership, a new sense of like, I am the older player now I'm the veteran and I've got all of these young, younger players filling out this roster and I'm going to lead them and we're going to go win this game. And I think that that is something that Orlando has needed terribly. And I think that they're really responding to it in addition to good vibes from Becky Burley, all of that sort of stuff. But I, I am so impressed, not only by the way Sid LaRue has been playing, but the way she's been leading the team. Yeah, she plays with this confidence that I, I, I just, like you said, it's contagious. Mm-hmm. You can, it, it radiates from a screen. I really, I, <laughs> I felt that exact way watching her celebrate her really great goal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There was something about the celebration where, there was that there was that confidence that sort of and then that resulted in a satisfaction of being able to not just score that goal, but to consistently complete your job right week in, week out. And again, it's a trajectory that, you know, you said she was the up and comer for a really long time. And then when she wasn't the up and comer anymore, her career had sort of taken a less high profile yeah. um, status. You know, it wasn't like she wasn't particularly playing well or anything like that. She was just less high profile and she wasn't really on the national team anymore, but to see her now hit another career high in a new, right. In a new version of herself as a confident leader. It's been cool to watch. Yeah, I'm happy for her. Yeah. I'm happy for a lot of players on the pride. You know, I, I think also really good to see Alex Morgan get back on the board. She is a player that was playing quite well for Orlando struggled during the Olympics and then you kind of come back, you get healthy again. And it's great to see her contributing. Obviously Marta also had a goal in this game. Um, I would also say at this point, having watched enough of these Orlando games, first of all, I, I certainly think they're going to be in the playoffs. They're, they're getting it done well enough. And I'm not sure I would want to play them to be no. honest. Um, they're the kind of team that I think could come out, come out swinging and and maybe shake some things up, shake some things up in uh, in the playoff race. So the vibes seem good. The yeah. vibes seem good. You don't really want to play against a team that where the vibes seem good. That's true. When they're rolling, right? Yeah, it's that confidence. Yep, very good. So talking about a team with a lot of confidence, a team that's rolling, all of that sort of stuff. We had a not top of the table matchup, but top ish of the table matchup between close enough, close enough. You know, it when. Uh, <laughs> When the rain is given a three to nothing forfeit win over the spirit, that changes things a little bit. But um, North Carolina hosted the Portland Thorns. And for the first time, the Portland Thorns emerged from a game in North Carolina with a win. They win this one one to nothing, a goal by Sophia Smith. Very nice goal by Sophia Smith. This Portland has not wrapped up the shield uh, the OL rain is, uh, is right on their heels. I don't think it's going to be North Carolina though. That takes it from them. No. And so it's not been a great run of form for them. They're I think three games now without scoring a goal. 
North Carolina, it's a little bit of a, they're going out with a little bit of a whimper right now. And I say that sort of um, hesitantly because they are still in third. They're going to be in the playoffs, similar situation. What's happening right now though, is not, it does not seem like the belief is necessarily there. And like you said, they're really struggling to score. So I want to go back actually to the trade that sent Haley Mace and Kristen Hamilton and Caitlin Rowland to Kansas city and brought in Amy Rodriguez. I'm a huge A-Rod fan. I think she's great. That was a turn of fortune though for North Carolina. It feels like they just haven't quite been the same since, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really, just generally, it's shocking when this North Carolina team is not scoring goals because that's kind of been the one constant, even though this season was always supposed to be a maybe a uh, rebuilding one for them. But yeah, yeah, it just hasn't clicked yet. Maybe, maybe it will down the road. We're we're talking about people who from players to a coaching staff obviously know how to get the job done. So you can't rule it out. And three games out scoring is a lot, but it's also not so much that feels like it can't be corrected, especially given, you know, again, the personnel, but you know, it's, it's, this one hasn't worked out yet. And I like a rod a lot too, but she does occasionally run cold. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's not the, it's not, it's not going great right now. On the flip side, flip side, positives for North Carolina. They, uh, their defense has been very stout, especially as led by goalkeeper Casey Murphy, who is having a really, really good season. Talk about someone who should probably be in U.S. camp the next time they bring new people in. Um, this is a nice, funny. there are a nice amount of goalkeepers in this league that can yeah. do that can do the job. It's true. And it is kind of funny because we've talked about North Carolina has been the team that's ready for shootouts, right? They're the team that's going to outscore you, but they've been whatever ties or close results they've been getting recently have been on the back of the defense. And so they have to feel good about that because to put a good run together, not conceding goes a very long way. Absolutely. But ultimately they did concede in this one and they weren't able to come back. And so you can kind of see the downside of it as well. So let's flip over to Portland. I think this is a broad stroke, obviously, but you see Portland go in, you know, it makes me think of, it makes me think of this actually. It makes me think of Chicago beating Portland in the semifinal in 2019, where Chicago had not beaten Portland either home or away in a very long time. It had been five years, something like that, but it was just kind of a rising star meeting a sinking one in a moment where belief was high on one end and belief was a little bit lower on the other end. And it just kind of all came together to just be like, in this moment, this team has the belief. This team does not. This doesn't necessarily indicate future results, but for right now, this is a turn. That's kind of how this felt to me. Portland going into North Carolina and getting that win. Portland, the belief is deep there right now yeah off the charts almost yeah and it's organized and you see someone like Sophia Smith who you have to remember is in her rookie regular season learning some of that consistency being very calm in front of goal we've seen her make difficult things look easy and easy things look hard (laughs) and I think this one she made something that was kind of easy look 
super duper easy. And so that is the ultimate goal is like a little outside of the outside of the foot flick in front of goal against the goalkeeper who had been having a very good game. Those kinds of finishes from Smith, if she can bottle that and do it more often, she's going to be one of the best strikers in the league, but she's still growing. But the fact that she was able to do this, I think was very impressive. And again, like I said, Portland hasn't wrapped up the shield yet, but they look pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And as long as they keep doing what they're doing, they should be fine. But yeah, to go back to Sophia Smith, she's, I think we've all sort of been waiting for her to hit this point, not like in an impatient way. She's still, she's got a lot of time, so it's, it'll be fine. It was just a matter. It felt like of when, not if, but it's nice to see her finally start, you know, getting the balance, right. That, that really felt like the thing that was missing was just getting the balance right. And a nice way to do that right before a big U.S. Women's National Team camp, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, you look at last weekend's results, all those ties, and you look at the game against Houston and Chicago, and you look at you know, the ways that teams are struggling to differentiate from one another. And in a funny way, sometimes all you have to do is score one more goal than the team you're yeah. playing. And that's not a struggle so for some teams. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so Portland, Portland gets it done. And I think that that is what makes them so dangerous is they can hurt you in many different ways. Crystal Dunn, I think also probably had her most assured performance in a Portland Thornton's Jersey in this match probably helps that she was playing a team that she knows very, very well. Um, that is a project that I think is only going to continue to gel <laughs> as these final weeks kind of come together. I don't know. I I'm high on Portland. I'd have to see something different from them to make me think that they're going to give up this lead. However, talk about tie breaks or rain has it. They've beaten the thorns twice already this season. So cool kind of Cascadia moment happening at the top of the table where we will see kind of how things shake out. But I understand why Portland was a little bit salty about the rain getting that forfeit because not only because they feel like they're entitled to one, but also their, you know, their regional rivals. Yeah. Was, were given a result that puts them right on their heels. So yeah, the banter is mandatory in that yes, case, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so what do you think, Pardeep? How are you feeling about, do you think still think Portland is on, on the stretch or do you think all oh, rain is the team that could topple them? I I'm not going to bet against Portland. Yeah. I w- have been unwilling to bet against Portland since before the season started and I'm stuck in my ways now. Uh, but uh, I have to say it's been fun watching different teams get quite close to them without truly overtaking them. Obviously there was a time where I think Orlando was the top team, but uh, you know, now the rain is the next one to do it. It creates a bit of fun, regional rivalry, type banter i'm cool with that but i'm more interested at this point in seeing how close the rain can get it's been a really good turn of events since uh the managerial switch for them both obviously in results but it's also been fun to watch them um so yeah i'm interested in seeing how close they can keep that but i i'm not betting against portland right i mean portland would have to drop more points right that's the ultimate Ultimate situation here. Okay, so then final question for this week. Going into the international break, as I said, everybody gets a little bit of time off. Um, We are really, really in the home stretch now. A couple of teams only have five games left. Many, I believe, have six or seven games left. Let's talk about the playoff race a little bit. I'll go ahead and say, 
I think the I can say with with pretty much pretty good confidence, Portland, OR Rain, North Carolina, Orlando. Okay. And then we have Gotham, Chicago, Houston, and Washington for two spots. Who do you think it's really hard because we literally have not seen Washington play in a very long time. And I'll, I'll pick mine and you give yeah. me yours, okay? Okay. I actually think, oh, this is tough. And I, oh, I don't know if Gotham can do it. I don't know if Gotham is the team. Uh, and then I'll maybe be controversial and say, I don't love where Chicago's sitting right now either. Mm. it's out of their control right now yeah and so we would have to see other teams surge but i still kind of like washington's chances i think despite all the turmoil what do you think who are your two out of those four so i'm actually gonna go completely the opposite okay all right so because the question is are the other teams gonna rise right i I think the spirit will I think the spirits off the field stuff will impact everything happening on the field. I don't think they can overcome it Yeah, because it just keeps getting worse. Right. And maybe it won't get worse next week or the week after one can only hope, but it's not getting better. And I think to live in that will not be a fun space for anybody that works for the Washington spirit. Sure. The Dash, I am betting against right now because they have been dealing with this problem all season and have not yet been able mm, to fix it. You're not seeing, right, you're not seeing the progress. Sure. No. The Red Stars can bail themselves out. They with sure can. Their, with, their yeah. So that's, yeah. What, that's why I bet on them because yeah. they can bail themselves out. Yeah. And they only need to, if the margins are thin, they don't even need to do it all the time. They just yeah. need to do it enough times. Right, exactly. And then... Gotham, obviously they've had a little bit of a tumultuous season off the field too, but it seems like that stuff kind of got sorted mm-hmm. r- with relative, you know, relatively quickly. And they can probably just focus on working with a new coach. You can just focus on the on the field stuff. And maybe, right. you know, maybe they'll want to, I, I don't know if this will actually have any impact on them, but maybe, you know, putting on display for Carly Lloyd and her final matches. Yeah, that's true, actually. That's that's a good vibe to carry. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, I think they just have less sinking them than the other ones. Sure. And they they've been inconsistent the whole time it's from the beginning of the season. But inconsistent also means that sometimes they do win. Sometimes they get the points. And if Yanomano has been in good form. So that's why I'll bet on those two because they have more ways to bail themselves out and less things sinking them. No, I think that's good logic. And they're also obviously getting Mitch purse back hopefully soon. And that'll be a huge boost. to them. Yeah, I agree. Um, lot, the, all of those teams are struggling to score. They can't score. Um, and they're struggling to win. Can't win. <laughs> can't win. If you can't score. I don't know yeah. if you've ever heard that before, but that's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, own goal. Own goal could show up at any time. Though. That's so true. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You never know. Own never goal know. could bail out any of these teams. We I like see. your logic, though. I do like your logic of you look at a team like Houston who has been dropping those kinds of points all the time, right? Whereas Chicago, a lot of times are picking up points from a deficit. So maybe you do think, right, there's there's yeah. a little bit more momentum to that, more momentum to that than uh, than what you're seeing from Houston. Yeah. 
Fair enough. It'll I don't blame you for betting on the dash, though. This still feels like this this stuff will get decided by tiny margins. And if the dash can figure it out for like yeah. even two games, it's probably enough. That's true. They get you just need like six more points and, and yeah. you're good. Um, yeah, the, the tiebreaker between Chicago and Houston is very funny because um, they are they're tied. I think I think Houston has a two one win. Chicago has a two one win. They have the one, one draw. And I believe their goal differential is also the same. So I don't know exactly <laughs> how those two. Wait, when does, does it get to coin flip yet? I don't Something know. like that. Yellow cards, perhaps. I'm not sure. Yeah, probably um, that one first. But we might we might see kind of a deep tie break make an appearance in in these in these uh, the differences between these teams, which is only about right for this 2021 season vibe. All right. Very good. So as I said, Give us your questions. We'll be answering answering your questions in the mailbag. We'll be talking about some international games and any other news that pops up. Hopefully good news, right? Always hopeful for good news. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Thank you so much, Pardeep, for having me. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy, and Blue Wire Podcast, our distributor. This has been the Equalizer Podcast. We will see you all next week.